The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. One of the things I loved the most about litigation was the investigation process because I love asking people questions about themselves. I, um, I have a natural curiosity about people, so I am really looking forward to learning more about our podcast guests. I had this very traditional path to the law, but I'm also really interested in hearing other people's paths and what they're doing now with their JD. Because as I said, I never really understood that there are so many different things you can do. So for me, I hope to be able to draw out those stories and to introduce listeners to so many interesting lawyers doing interesting things. The Hearing. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another hearing episode. Lovely to have your company. I'm very excited today because I can see two of my guests for you. I've got two for the price of one for you today. And these two ladies are going to be um, hosts for the hearing podcast, as well as myself as well, and of course, Becky. So I'm very excited to meet you because I we, we haven't met before, and I'd love for the listeners to get a flavour of who you are, you know, what your background is, how did you enter into law? And um, we've got a series of questions for you, but I'd like it to be a free-flowing conversation so the listeners can get excited about you um, doing an episode of The Hearing imminently. So um, I haven't even said your names yet. So we've got Lauren Sobel and we've got Jennifer Thibodeau. Welcome to The Hearing Podcast. Thank you, Yasmin. Yes, thank you, Yasmin. So I'm going to start... Um, I'm going to ask you both the same question. I'll start with you, Lauren. What I'd love to know is, tell us a little bit about your career path into law. How did you get into law? Um, So, you know, this question for a very long time made me feel um, a bit insecure because I am not one of those people who um, have known since I was five years old that I wanted to be a lawyer. I think there's this perception that you have to know where you're going in order to find your way. Um, but I've realized, you know, you sometimes figure it out as you go along and still get to your destination. And that's exactly what happened with me. Um, if you ask my dad, you know, he would have said, oh, no, I knew you were going to be a lawyer from the time you were five because of the creative ways you used to try to persuade me and your mother, you know, when you didn't want to do something or when you wanted something. Um, but really, truthfully, you know, I was never the type of person who said, oh, I, I want to be a lawyer when I grow up. Um, I went to law school because I am practical. You know, my passion at the time was not law, but New York City. I went to college here. I knew I wanted to stay in New York, um, but I also knew I needed to pay the bills. I had a friend who was a year older who was applying to law school. So I sort of, you know, saw her go through the process and I realized, you know, I like writing, I like problem solving. Why don't I look into this as well? So um, that's really how it started for me. And, you know, I was lucky enough to stay in New York City for law school, which is what I wanted. Um, I did not bank on having to look for my first legal job during a recession. And I um, hate to date myself, but it was the dot-com bust. And for those of um, those of us who have had to also, you know, look for a job during a recession, you know, it's um, not an easy thing. Um, so I sent uh, hundreds of cover letters and resumes to firm um, to firms. I developed, you know, the art of networking and sort of started on a traditional 
traditional path at a big firm in New York where I was lucky enough um, at the time to get an offer. Uh, my path then became somewhat untraditional. I had really wanted a clerkship um, in law school, and I was told um, because my grades were not in the top 5%, to not even bother, um, but I really, it was something I really wanted to do. So um, I sort of took an untraditional path at the time, which was to apply for clerkships that began two years after I was already you know, working as an associate at a firm. Um, I think it's much more common now to work a little bit and then go for a clerkship, but, um, but certainly at the time it, it was not. Um, you know, I wound up clerking for a judge here in New York City and then for a district court judge in Miami um, and did not plan on staying in Miami, but another recession hit as luck would have it. Um, and that was the Great Recession in 2008. So that sort of changed my plans. I wound up staying in Florida. I took the Florida bar, which I um, definitely don't recommend to people who have not been in school for a while. Um, it was not a fun experience taking uh, the bar after practicing. It was very hard to be a student again. Um, but I then you know, got an offer I couldn't refuse at a firm in Miami, and I eventually made partner there. Um, I never thought in law school that I would ever practice in Florida. Um, you know, certainly that in my mind was not the traditional path for somebody who, who went to law school in New York and who started out working in New York. But that's where life took me. And I wouldn't have changed a thing because it got me, you know, where I am today, which is very happy <laughs> at practical law. Brilliant. And you're, you're both at Thomson Reuters now, aren't you? Just for our listeners to understand. Yeah, that's great. Yes. And how, Lauren, yes. how long have you been at Thomson Reuters for? So I just celebrated my nine-year anniversary at Thomson Reuters. Fantastic. So I'm going to thank you for that introduction. I'll ask you later what what life looks like, what your working day entails. But I'm going to turn to you, Jennifer, and the same question. How did you get into law? Did you have an untraditional route like Lauren, or what's your story? Actually, unlike Lauren, I always knew that I wanted to be a lawyer, not quite at five years old, although I have a five-year-old now and hearing Lauren's description of what her dad might say is making me think that I might have a little lawyer on my hands and my husband is a lawyer as well. And that, I guess, could very well be the case. But for me, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer from the time I was 15 years old, really. And that is because I had a teacher who really encouraged me to try out for the mock trial team in high school. And I was a very shy teenage girl. I lacked a lot of confidence. I was very insecure. But this teacher knew how much I loved to read and to write. So me trying out for mock trial could have gone just one of two ways, but spoiler alert, I think you know which way it worked out because it was just like this spark for me when I stood up in a courtroom after hours to compete and gave this opening statement. It just lit a fire in me and I said, this is it. This is what I really want to do. I found confidence. I found that I liked speaking in front of a room full of people. And I said, I, I want to be a lawyer. And Lauren, I, I share your concern about dating yourself a little bit because I'll say <laughs> at the time, 
I was reading a ton of John Grisham novels. This was the early to mid nineties. So with you. I knew I read them that, all. <laughs> right? So, you know, for Mitch McDear in the firm to become a partner at a law firm was a really big deal. So I was an overachiever at a young age. So I said, okay, if I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm going to be a partner at a law firm because that is apparently a really big deal. And I knew from those books as well that I just was so intrigued by this uh, concept of, of justice and being someone's trusted counsel. I, I didn't know anything about being a lawyer because I knew someone was a lawyer. It was from my experience in mock trial and, and reading these books. So then I set off on this path to achieve my dream of becoming a partner at a law firm. So I went you know, to college and took all the right classes. I went right to law school without taking any time off. After law school, I had a clerkship in the appellate division in New Jersey, here where I live. And then I joined the firm that became my home for 11 years. And all throughout this journey, and anyone who knew me knew that I wanted to be a partner at a firm. Like this, this was my goal. I, I loved the law. And I worked tirelessly to achieve that goal. And I did at the age of 34. But the thing was, as the dust really settled on this promotion and I was settling into my position, I thought, well, maybe I don't want to be a partner at a law firm when I grow up after all. Maybe I've just been spending so much time trying to reach for and grasp this brass ring that I haven't really stopped to think about you know, are are you happy? Do you like what you want to do? Because it had really hit me like a ton of bricks that I didn't want the next promotion, which would have been becoming an equity partner as an owner at the firm. And that realization was tough. I was, you know, sad, frustrated, and embarrassed, and really scared both both to stay and to go. And finally, two and a half years after that, I left to join practical law. And I have been here now for over five years. Interesting. Thank you. And it's true. When I was at university, you know, the definition of success and that career path, the only one that seemed open to me, that's what all I saw was to be a partner in a law firm. Um, no concept of doing a different career. It was, I know you can go into other areas. But for me, that was have to be because here in the UK, I'm sure you know, we've got that distinction between solicitor and barrister, whereas in the States that you're an attorney, aren't you? But there was no um, concept of doing something different. Being a partner was, you know, to be successful in your career. So that's great. You shared that both of you, because I think all of the listeners can relate to something that both of you have said, you know, Jennifer, you obviously had an idea very early on, Lauren, um, you kind of found yourself in this position. Um, but that's interesting. You both ended up kind of in the same place at Practical Law at Thomson Reuters. So that's great. And great. what was it? I'm going to ask Jennifer, you actually first. What was it? Was there a particular moment, a light bulb moment where you thought, and you may have answered this already, I need to leave private practice. What was it when you thought, actually, I don't really want to be an equity partner, that was the only choice open to me? Or were, were there other moments where you thought, is this really what I want? 
it was that moment for sure. And it was a very sinking realization because I had invested so much in this career and I couldn't believe that I was now second guessing it and myself. But I also will say it was the realization that I become very cynical and I didn't like the person I was becoming. I was very negative and looking back, I mean, these were just telltale signs of burnout, to be quite frank. But at the same time, I had a baby and I knew that if I really wanted to be the best version of myself because I didn't like who I was, that it was time to make a change. So it was, you don't want to do this forever. You can't imagine practicing law for much longer. You don't like the person you've become. What what next? What can you do? And Yasmin, like you said, Everything, even in law school, was, you know, just either go to government or be a partner at a law firm. I didn't know what else I could possibly do. So it was a very uncertain time for sure. Yeah, thank you. And Lauren, same question to you. What what was the moment that you thought private practice isn't really for me? So I think there were a couple moments. Um, I think in general, missing out on friends and family events um, and, and those... Uh, it seemed to be more frequent the more senior I got at the firm. My closest friends, um, my sister, were all having babies um, back home. I had serious FOMO. Um, and then uh, we had some family health scares that sort of made me think, okay, I really need to slow life down and, and you know, go back home. I also truthfully had very serious concerns about being a partner for the rest of my life. You know, it was certainly all the things about work-life balance that, you know, every law firm lawyer knows about and has to deal with. Um, But also as a woman, it seemed very daunting to me to, um, you know, the idea of developing a robust enough book of business to sustain a career as a partner, that really scared me. it's ironic because now, years later, a lot of what I do is actually, you know, business development, and I'm much more confident now in those skills um, than I was in practice. Um, and you know, I'm finally learning golf <laughs> uh, years later, which is ironic because I always suspected that that was secretly the key to business development. So, um, but yeah, I mean, all of those moments sort of led me to think, okay, it's time to make a change. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so what what do you do, Lauren, exactly? What does your typical day look like at Thomson Reuters? Or is there a typical day? So it's it's a great question. Um, so I am, um, like Jen, a senior legal editor for the litigation service of practical law. And basically what I do in a nutshell is use my litigation experience to develop you know, resources and services and products for lawyers to help them practice. Um, Probably if you asked me this question years ago, my answer would have been, oh, you know, a lot of days are the same. It's a lot of researching, writing, and editing. Um, but my role has really evolved over the years. So now it's it's much less likely that any two days are the same. You know, some days I am doing product development or, or helping with a product launch, or I am discussing global legal trends with colleagues in the UK and Canada um, or across the United States. Uh, Some days I'm working with the sales team or with outside attorneys on articles for our magazine. Um, 
a lot of my day is now spent brainstorming and planning programming, part of which I do with Jen. Um, this job lets me be very creative. And, you know, one example of that is that I get to organize and speak on panels in areas that I'm interested in, like ethics or legal tech or diversity or women in the law. And now this podcast. So I've been spending, you know, my days researching potential guests and, you know, their stories to hopefully deliver some great episodes to everybody. Absolutely. I look forward to listening to them. Um, and Jennifer, same, same to you. What, what does your typical day look like? So I agree with Lauren and I'm not going to, I guess, repeat what she said, but I'll put a little bit of a finer point on it. If you had asked me five years ago what my day was like, I would have said, oh, I, I create new content, I edit content and I review content to make sure it's up to date. Never would I thought that it'd be in this position where I don't have two days that are the same. Now I have this podcast that I'm working on. Lauren and I do a lot of programming, as she mentioned. I have a global work stream that I work on, and I never thought I'd have the opportunity to work with colleagues in Canada, the UK, or Spain. But to put, I guess, a bit of a finer point on the crux of what it is to be a senior legal editor, and I say this because when I meet practitioners and tell them what I do, they inevitably say, I, I love practical law. How does it work? You know, how do you create these resources? As editors, we have content plans and we have the autonomy and the creativity to be able to say, for me, I'm in New Jersey. You know, it's a trend in New Jersey that I think practitioners would really want a practical know-how resource is, it's this. And we create our content plan and then we write that content. So my day could be spent researching and writing my own original content, but also peer reviewing content that others write, providing my thoughts and my feedback on organization, style. And if I'm reviewing something from someone, let's say in California, and I've never practiced practiced there, I can offer a different viewpoint as to something they think is so obvious, but I'll say, can you break this down a little bit more? Mm. So we are editors, but we are also content creators. And that mm. is a, still a large part of my day. Mm. And is it essential for both of you to, to have been a lawyer before? Or is that incredibly useful to know? Is that the requirement of the, of the job that you've had to have? Yeah, that past experience. You're nodding, but just a tip podcast people listening <laughs> won't know that just a tip for you when you do your episode <laughs> but yeah you're both nodding so yeah it's essential to be a lawyer I mean it, it, incredibly useful and absolutely essential to understand the challenges that lawyers have and create those products that they need to make their life easier um, and make it accessible for them yeah brilliant if I may, I will say that you really hit on something there that was bugging me when I was considering taking this position and even after I had accepted it. Mm. I had a little bit of the imposter syndrome thinking, well, I'm a litigator. I'm not an editor. You know, how is my skill set ever going to trans translate and transfer to doing this? Am I going to somehow just completely bomb and have to go <laughs> crawling back to private practice? It wasn't until I was here that I truly understood how essential it was to be a litigator and someone who had litigated. I mean, I was in practice for over a decade for a significant amount of time to have a role as a senior legal editor because of mm -hmm. what we do with really embedding our practical experience into our resources. You know, a rule might say this, but 
courts don't really follow it or there's a part of the rule that is unwritten that you need to know that you couldn't understand if you just looked at a traditional treatise. So you definitely hit on something for me there. Yeah, and imposter syndrome, Jennifer, it's probably a good time to actually ask you about um, your business, JMT Speaks, because you talk about this theme a lot. I've I've watched some some of your talks online, on LinkedIn, um, and... um, Tell us a little bit about JMT Speaks. What, what, why did you set this up and what do you do? Well, thank you for asking, Yasmin. And let me say that JMT Speaks is separate and apart from everything that I do at Thomson Reuters. And I am very grateful that TR lets me pursue this. So JMT Speaks is my platform where I am, a professional writer and speaker, and I launched it in January of 2020, which of course, looking back, was an interesting time to become an entrepreneur, but I did so because I really wanted my own space to tell my story about how I had to lose this plan that I always had for myself in order to find myself again, and I had been speaking and writing about it somewhat informally, but said, you know what, I I love doing this. Let me try and formalize it a little bit. So I have my website, jmtspeaks.com, where I have my blog and I do speaking engagements. And I focus on identifying and embracing your authentic self, overcoming the imposter syndrome, effective communication, avoiding burnout, and more than anything else, I really see myself as a storyteller because I get to share what I've learned, what I'm still learning, and how I'm evolving. And it's been really rewarding and exciting to be able to mm. connect with new people and to share and hear stories. Yeah. Well, you'll certainly be doing that on the podcast, choosing the guests you want to speak to and drawing out their stories as well. So that's really exciting. And and Lauren, um, what I'd love to ask you is what are you most looking forward to being one of the hosts of the hearing? What is it you can't wait to get your teeth into? What are you hoping to get out of it? Um, So I think uh, one of the things I loved the most about litigation was the investigation process, um, trying to get everybody's story, meeting with clients and witnesses, um, you know, the deposition process. Basically, that's all because I love asking people questions about themselves. I, um, I have a natural curiosity about people um, and where they come from, and what makes them tick. So I am really looking forward to learning more about our podcast guests, hearing all the different stories and, uh, you know, getting to ask them all the questions because, uh, you know, I think it's usually better to be the one doing the questioning than um, be the one who's being deposed. So I'm, I'm looking forward to asking the questions. Yeah, great. Fantastic. And, and Jennifer, what are you most looking forward to? Well, as you said, Yasmin, it really is drawing out people's stories, like you said. And Lauren, I share your natural curiosity as well. I shared how I had this very traditional path to the law, but I'm also really interested in hearing other people's paths and what they're doing now with their JD. Because as I said, I never really understood that there are so many different things you can do. And there might be folks who are still partners at law firms who we interview who love it. And I'd love to hear more about that. So for me, I hope to be able to draw out those stories and to introduce listeners to so many interesting lawyers doing interesting things. Fantastic. Great. Well, we it's funny because 
I've done this now for probably over two years. And when I ask the guests, you know, what's the path that you took to get into law? Most of them are saying, I took a very untraditional path. So, um, you know, you'll find out um, different guests, their backstory, which makes it really interesting. There's a lot of diversity within within that group that we interview. So a um, couple more questions so that listeners can get a flavour of who you are exactly. Uh, Lauren, I want to ask you, what is your favourite podcast at the moment? Obviously, it's The Hearing, naturally, without Obviously. Me, uh, obviously. obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Same. apart from that, what are you listening to at the moment? What kind of stuff are you into? So I, two of my interests outside of work are real estate and interior design. So my favorite podcasts tend to be in one of those two areas. Um, right now, I'm listening to one called Happening in the Hamptons, and I love it because it's um, equal doses of escapism for me, but also real life learning about real estate. And for our listeners elsewhere um, in the world who may not be familiar with the area, it is um, the Hamptons are a collection of beach towns in the eastern part of New York State. Um, and they are probably most famous for just insane luxury. Um, and, you know, maybe like some other city dwellers out there, I catch myself um, daydreaming about life on the beach all the time. So the podcast really helps me dream without the reality of a million dollar mortgage payment or, you know, sea level rising. Um, the podcast discusses very practical things about buying and selling real estate, about the economy, um, you know, renovation which is something I love, um, but they also delve into specific uh, listings and the podcast is run by a brokerage company. So some of these listings are multi, multi-million dollar houses. So I kind of like uh, for fun to go back and look at them later online. Oh, oh, that sounds good. I might check that out actually. And uh, how do you listen to your podcast? Are you on the go? Are you listening in the car? How do you find the time? Um, so I walk a lot living in New York City. So that is um, one place I listen to podcasts, but also just at home. Sometimes if I'm, you know, cooking or cleaning yeah. around the house, I will, I will put a podcast on and um, it's a great way to, uh, you know, entertain myself. Same. I, that's how I listen to. Yeah. And Jennifer, anything interesting you're listening to? Well, you can better bet that I will be listening to Lauren's podcast because it sounds absolutely <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, really, it's but so fun. <laughs> <laughs> I am an avid reader, so it's probably no surprise that the podcast I listen to the most, aside from the hearing, is Glennon Doyle's podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. Glennon Doyle is a New York Times bestselling author, and her memoir, Untamed, is probably one of my favorite books of all time. It's the book that I gift to people who then tell me they gift it to people. And it's really all about Glennon getting in touch with her true self and her journey. And she had a mantra that she always told herself, you know, we can do hard things as women. So the podcast is one that she hosts with her wife, Abby Wambach, who is a former professional U.S. women's soccer player, and Glennon's sister, Amanda Doyle, who is a former big law attorney who maybe we should try and get on the podcast, I now realize, right? I'd love to hear about what, what she's done and how she ended up where she is with Glennon. But the topic is we can do hard things and they discuss things that are difficult for us as a society, as humans, as mothers, as wives, daughters, sisters, friends. 
they tend to interview a lot of other authors. So for example, another author I enjoy, Celeste Ng, she wrote Little Fires Everywhere, has a new book coming out. So this week they talked to Celeste and it's not just about the book, but it's about the psyche of the characters behind Mm. the book. And other episodes I enjoy are when they have other thought leaders on or just take questions from audience members, uh, listeners rather, Anything from I'm having this relationship issue to this work issue to how do you navigate friendships as an adult? So it's really something I enjoy and I love the authentic conversation between Mm. the three women. Well, I've just added two podcasts to my list. Thanks, ladies. That's great. (laughs) Always like a good podcast. And I'd love to finish on this question. Apart from what you've told me, what's one thing you'd like your listeners to know about you? And I'll start with you, Lauren. Okay. Um, I live for connecting with people and my most favorite way to do that is through cooking for friends and family. I love cooking dishes from around the world and it works out really well because I happen to live in a very diverse city where you can find almost any ingredient on the planet. Um, I also have amazing friends and family that would never ever tell me if my food did not come out that well. So those two things really, really (laughs) inspire me. Um, And if we have any listeners out there who have recipes that they want to share, I would love to hear from you and I would love to connect with you over your recipes. This is sounding like an episode of Woman's Hour, isn't it? <laughs> which is what we have in, in the UK, which is great. It's all an all-female all female host now. Um, fantastic. I love cooking as well, Lauren, so we can swap recipes, I'm sure. That'd be great. And, and Jennifer, um, what's the one thing you'd like the listeners to know about you? Yasmin, let me start by just telling Lauren that I will be inviting myself over the next time. <laughs> well, I'm flying I'm over. I don't know about you. You're yes. both welcome. <laughs> anytime. Anytime. I am not a cook, so maybe my uh, podcast library should include Learn to Cook programs. My husband is a phenomenal chef, so I'm very lucky in that regard. Uh, but to answer your question, Yasmin, which I think is probably the toughest one that you've asked, I will say that we've, you know, we've spent this time talking about our career journeys and our paths to the law, but I would feel remiss if I didn't mention that at the end of the day, I am a typical suburban mom. My husband and I have been together for 19 years, married 15 years. As I mentioned, he's a lawyer. We met in law school and we have a five-year-old son who is a kindergartner. So when I'm not doing everything else that we've talked about, I really am just running to school pickup. I'm going to a baseball game. I'm going to a birthday party or I'm, you know, on some weekend adventure with my husband and son somewhere. So that is very much a perspective that I that I have and I will, I'm sure, bring to the podcast. So I just offer that to the listeners as well. Yeah, great. And I'd love you to bring that to the podcast because we talk about authenticity when you strip it back you know I do public speaking as well I'm also a mum to a two-year-old and sometimes it's very unglamorous but it's me (laughs) Um, and you know I refer listeners we we did some uh, an episode with Michelle Last who's an employment lawyer she's actually a friend of mine from university and we did um, the episode was about uh, fertility infertility and the law around that and the the rights or protections that you have and I went through IVF myself and I felt very proud of that podcast so I 
because it was so personal and I thought should I go there should I not but I'm really glad I did because I needed to find women going through that journey that I went through and I was searching for them and so if either of you feel ready to do that in time you know I wasn't ready at the beginning but if any advice that I give to you is enjoy the enjoy the journey um we've all got imposter syndrome I've still got it two years later I think how did I end up doing this but if you want to bring your own personal stuff in if you, you know interviewing a guest or an experience you've been through and you feel it'd be a benefit to the listeners just go for it um because I find that when we tell our own stories as well and disarm ourselves become vulnerable people really engage with that content so it's so lovely to meet you both I'm really excited for you to start and um, you're going to enjoy it I'm sure you are so thank you so much for being great guests on The Hearing thank you thank you The Hearing thank you so much for listening I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed producing this episode for you Um, as ever if you enjoyed listening to this episode or indeed any of the episodes of The Hearing please do like and subscribe and as ever please do provide us with feedback we're always happy to hear from you the hearing a legal podcast from thomson reuters to find out more go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via itunes spotify or wherever you get your podcasts